God became like a little child in a lowly place to become a servant to all. And just uh, just what incredible love he has to come into the world in that way, in such a humble way, uh, for our sake, but also, as we're, we've talked about, to reverse the sin of, of the rebellious angels. You know, it's not just about providing salvation to us, the opportunity for salvation, but it's undoing the works of the devil and angel, his angels and demons. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. We have a special episode this week where Luke and I talk about the different theories for when the Messiah was born. When did Jesus come into the earth as a little baby? And there's really a lot of conjecture, speculation, but also a lot of interesting factoids and uh just different rabbit trails you can go down to see how can we piece this together and figure it out. But most importantly is celebrating the birth of our Creator coming into the world as a little child to redeem us and the world. Welcome back to the Days of Noah podcast, and we're going to go over Jesus' birth, the timing of it, and why it matters, and kind of the popular theories for that. Um, so in some ways, I think it doesn't matter. Um, it's more about our desire to celebrate the love of God that he came to earth uh, for us um, than what actual day it occurred. But... As is often the case in God's plans and words and prophecies, you know, there's layers of significance uh, to when the actual birth occurred. So we'll kind of look at that kind of stuff and see how it fits in. So the three possible time frames that I've, that I've been seeing are, of course, December 25th or thereabouts, and then late summer, early fall, so September time frame, and then also spring. Um, and I found it interesting as I was looking some of this stuff up that some of the early church fathers thought it was very pagan-like and even sinful to be concerned with the, the birth of the Messiah and the timing of it and celebrating it. Because that was, I guess culturally, that was not the norm. You know, we're very used to that today, but I guess that was um, not the norm back then. And so you have uh, Clement was one, and um, Origen, if you've heard of him, he said it was like calling Jesus something like a King Pharaoh. So they thought of that idea very pagan. It's kind of interesting. So um, some of the... Yeah, go ahead. So what have you uh, what have you read on why why was December twenty fifth settled on um, and when was it settled on? Do you 
did you find any of that information out? I did, and um, perfect question because that's where I was going next. Um, so some possible reasons. So there isn't, from what I found, there isn't anything really like finite, definite for sure that it was one influence, but it was kind of amalgamation of multiple things. So for the first couple hundred years after Christ, it really wasn't an issue. It really wasn't talked about, celebrated. There's nothing in the writings about it. It doesn't show up until about the third century is the earliest, um, and then gained more popularity around the fourth century. So some of the possible reasons for December 25th One of them is to replace the worship of the Roman sun god, which coincided with the winter solstice. So there's this idea of, you know, the darkest day of the year is right before the solstice, or on the solstice, I guess. And then there's like a rebirth of the the sun, because the days are getting longer after that. Um, And sun god worship, of course, was very common in ancient pagan times. And so um, there's a a Latin, I think it's Latin phrase, uh, sol invictus, uh, which is uh, the invincible sun. Or put another way, in Rome they had the feast of the unquenchable sun. And so this was around or on December 25th. So that's one possible theory as to why Christmas was kind of Christianized. Um, possibly the Roman Catholic Church kind of, kind of said, "Okay, people are already celebrating the Roman sun god. Let's let's Christianize it and make it about Jesus." Um, so that's one kind of pagan idea. But surprisingly, so I kind of knew a little bit about that that the, there was pagan roots to it. But what I didn't know is it, there is actually some Christian beliefs that they believe it actually was. December 25th for his his birthday. Um, so there's this guy, Hippolytus, and there's a lot of controversy to Hippolytus because some say he contradicts himself in his writing. In one section he says Jesus was born on December 25th, and then another section it says he was born in April. So some have suggested, like Jonathan Kahn, that maybe it was redacted, like Someone kind of tried to scrub one part of it, but they didn't scrub the other part. I don't know. That gets into some controversy. But basically, there was this idea that um, Jesus was conceived on the vernal equinox, which would be the first day of spring, which would make his birth about December 25th. And this isn't just limited to Hippolytus. This was kind of, I guess, a common belief that that people of the time thought that the creation of the world began on March 25th or thereabouts with the beginning of spring, because that's the beginning of all things. And so they kind of married that idea of Jesus' conception, having that in common with the conception of creation. And then later in, like, I think the 3rd and 4th century, Tertullian and Augustine supported that view, and partially because, um, so there's what's called the Feast of Annunciation, and that's that's when um, the angel appeared to Mary. So annunciation, I guess, is the root word is announcement. So that's when the angel announced to Mary she would be pregnant. 
So there was a belief that that happened on about March 25th, and therefore she would have given birth in December. So that's kind of the Christian background, non-pagan background of why they think it's in December. Um, And then the third reason I found kind of goes back to some more pagan stuff. Um, It's said to correspond to the timing of Saturnalia, which was uh, a six or seven day celebration from December 17th to the 23rd. And that involved gift giving and other festivities. So that's probably where we have the tradition of gift giving at Christmas is probably tied to that. And Saturnalia was uh, celebrating the rule of Saturn and, as the mother and Jupiter as the father, who um, were imagined to have reigned in a mythic time of infinite pleasure, peace, and harmony called the Golden Age. And of course, we've heard a lot of talk about that on Blurry Creatures, right? About this so-called Golden Age where, you know, the guys to Atlantis and stuff. Atlantis, the time of the Watchers and Giants ruling, all right. of that, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the 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 three uh, big themes that I found for December twenty fifth. But why not December twenty fifth? Why doesn't it work? Um, so this is I learned this from Jonathan Kahn, the the Christian rabbi. Um, and if anyone hasn't heard of him, he's got some fantastic um, books out there. His bestseller he came out with almost a couple decades ago, uh, The Harbinger, uh, is really fascinating about the tie-ins to um, Isaiah chapter, I think it's 9 or 10, I think it's 9, when Israel was um, being attacked by the Assyrians and, and all of the similarities to 9-11 and the the Twin Towers falling and all of that. It's really, really uh, interesting. Anyway, so he says that uh, the lambing season, when sheep would give birth, always happens in the spring. And because of that, that's why the shepherds would have been out with their flocks at night, like the Bible says they were when the angel appeared to them. Um, So they would have been out kind of awaiting the lambs being born. They would have been there to protect them from predators. And then one kind of interesting thing to note, too, is Bethlehem is actually uh, the place where sheep were bred for sacrifice to be used in the temple. So it would be very fitting if the Lamb of God would be born in the same area that was used for lambs for temple sacrifice. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, another thought to why not December 25th. Uh, Some people have said, well, even in um, that area of the world, winter would have been too cold for shepherds to be out with their flocks at night. Uh, Some have disagreed with that, but that's one possible idea. And then um, there is a book called Born in Bethlehem by William Ramsey, and he talks about the timing of the census, you know, because if you remember in the accounts, like in Luke, it says, you know, the uh, Caesar um, wanted everyone to be registered in a census, and so everyone had to go to their hometowns. And in his book, he says the general time of year for that was typically uh, August to October uh, to encourage higher participation. 
because, you know, winter would be too cold and early spring would be kind of, I guess, the rainy season. So it'd be unlikely to be in winter, unlikely to be in spring, according to him. So that's that's just kind of one reason why this they wouldn't uh, Joseph and Mary wouldn't have been traveling uh, during the winter. And then another thought about um, I guess this coincides with the idea that Jesus was born in spring is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in early fall, like September. Um, Jonathan Kahn says, well, Mary and Joseph would not have broken the, the Jewish law of observing that, so they would have been in Jerusalem during that time, not in Bethlehem. So that's where one of the reasons he leans towards the spring. So then there's some other thoughts on, on um, from, from Kahn on... Uh, on the timing of things. Um, so one thing he says is the spiritual meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles lines up with end times and a closing of an era, not the opening or beginning of an era. And so according to him, Messiah's birth, death, re- resurrection, second coming must come in a proper chronological order. And he says that Tabernacles is all about the closing of the age. So that would be the wrong order to have his birth then. Um, and then, yeah, we already mentioned about, uh, uh, him, uh, Jesus being born in Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. And Khan says it would have caused revolution to require travel for the census at a time when Jews were supposed to be in Jerusalem. So that's an interesting thought. Um, he goes on to say that according to Exodus, the Passover lambs were sacrificed at one year old which if Jesus' birth coincides with this, he would have been born one year earlier in the spring. So it kind of lines up to that. And then in Exodus 12.6, it says the lamb was to stay with the family that raised it until, or maybe, I don't know if they actually raised it, maybe there were certain shepherds that raised them and then they the families that were going to sacrifice, maybe they purchased them or something. But anyway, the lambs were to stay with the family until the sacrifice. And if you count back from uh, Passover, uh, the day that the lamb was beginning to stay with the families, this would have coincided with Palm Sunday. So Khan points out it's really interesting how you have Jesus coming into the the, t- the city on Palm Sunday being worshipped the same number of days before he died, before Passover, as in Exodus when the lambs were awaiting sacrifice and they went into the family's homes. So that's kind of neat. Kind of neat co- coincide, coincision? Is that a word? Um. Yeah, and then in the Hebrew calendar, so I, I might touch on this later, but I, I, I found that there's apparently like two different calendars. So in in old, old times, um, the beginning of the Hebrew calendar was in the fall, and then it kind of switched to the spring with the months, month of Nisan, which means beginning. Um, and then a little bit about kind of the Magi, um, so Daniel 
if you remember, he was in Babylon. He was like one of the chief uh, astrologers. And so the Magi that sought the Jewish king, Messiah, they may have been familiar with Daniel's timeline. Because remember, Daniel gives that, what is it, like 470 years, I think? Does that sound right? He gives a time. That number doesn't. The, the only timeline that's popping in my head dealing with Dan, Daniel, I thought it was seventy generations. Seventy generations. So maybe, so maybe that's where they get that four hundred seventy or four hundred ninety years, something like Unless that. There's some multiplication going on there, and it brings it up to four seventy. I don't know. Yeah, if they're saying a generation is like seventy years or something. Anyway, so there's. I think there's like a idea of a countdown to the Messiah. So that. So the Magi... Had, so they definitely... Yeah. They de- yeah, you're, you're getting into it. Mm-hmm. So there, there definitely was a countdown. There definitely was a prophecy in the in um, the prophets, you know. Yep. Um, that they were, they were seeing the signs leading up. Plus they were looking at the stars. They were looking at all the evidence, right? Yeah. The Magi, is the Magi the, the wise men? The wise men, yep. Yeah, exactly. And that's how it's described with Daniel. It says he was chief among the wise men. So that's 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 that connection to being one of the Magi, very skilled in astrology, which in that time was what we call astronomy. is basically, you know, being a student of the science of the stars and stuff. So, um. So they may have been familiar with that, and then there was also a convergence of the wandering stars, which are, um, I guess they're the ones that you can, they're the pl- actually the planets, but you can see them with the naked eye. So back then, the wandering stars were Jupiter, Mars, Saturn, Venus, uh, Mercury, and then also the sun and moon were considered part of that. Um, and so again, this is according to Khan. This convergence of these stars happened around 6 BC, and Jupiter was thought of as the king, uh, the king star. And then there was uh, Regulus, which was kind of the the royal star. And um, according to uh, the Greek astronomer Ptolemy, uh, Judea was associated with the constellation Aries, which is the ram. So that kind of would have been that, like, lamb language, right? So we've got king, royalty, lamb. And apparently this convergence only happens every 6,000 years. So according to Khan, this convergence, the Magi would have been paying attention to this. And it happened in the spring of 6 B.C., so that's, that's all these reasons why he, he points to the uh, um, actual birth date of Christ being in spring. And then we get into a huge clue um, that could either be spring or fall for Jesus' birth. And it has to do with John the Baptist's parents. So... Do you recall that, like, I think there's a six-month difference between uh, John the Baptist and Jesus' age? Like, John the Baptist was six, yes. six months older? Okay. So. Yeah. Um, Which is recorded in the, in the Gospels. It is. Yep. 
So this gets into, um, so Zechariah was one of the priests that served in the temple. And if we go to um, 1 Chronicles 24, um, there were divisions of the descendants of the sons of Aaron. And so what they did is they separated these uh, priests into divisions for their appointed order of ministering. And so uh, David helped with this, and they they cast lots, um, and based on the order that they the lot fell, then it was these divisions that were to serve in the temple in this order. Okay, so why is that significant? Because you get to the eighth one, and it's uh, the lot fell to Abiah or Abijah. And then in verse 19 of Chronicles, it says, This was their appointed order of ministering when they entered the temple of the Lord. Okay, so fast forward to Luke 1.5, the birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah or Abijah. Okay, so he's number eight in order. That's, that's his group that he serves with. Uh, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So one thing to note, too, is that there are, um, there are a few kind of feast uh, Sabbaths, I guess. I think believe there's three throughout the year where all 24 divisions, so there were 24 total, would, would participate and serve together. Um, so it's not like you can just go through the year week after week and say, okay, this is when Zechariah would have served. So there was a, you know, a couple uh, feast weeks in there where um, they would all serve. Um, so okay, so then Luke one uh, eight once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple and burn incense. And then that's um, the verses that follows is when the angel shows up and says uh, his wife's going to have a child. And, of course, he scoffs at it, right? And what happens? He gets, he gets like, made deaf and dumb or something like that, right? He can't speak. That's right. Due to his unbelief. Yep. And then fast forward to verse 23. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. So kind of if we can if we can figure out when he served in the temple, then it was shortly thereafter, probably the next week or two at the most, that Elizabeth conceived. So if we can figure out when he served, we can figure out when John the Baptist would have been born, and then we can figure out when Jesus would be born. Well, one thing that I'm, I'm thinking of that would be interesting to look at. So he was in the temple serving, and maybe this is what you're getting at. Um, I don't know that it really says in what capacity, or was it a special, was it close to a feast day? Was it close to something significant in the temple rituals? So obviously there's appointed feasts that is that God commanded Moses to to adhere to right and i'm wondering if Zechariah was ministering in the temple close to one of those particular feasts 
because you the argument about you know being in the spring there's a lot of different viewpoints on that as you've already named but if we if we i don't know that the scripture really says in the gospels that zacharias was in the temple during a certain feast day because that would be a that would be a huge clue if it was i agree that's a very good point because yeah, was this his normal rotation, or was this all hands on deck on a, yeah, on a feast day? Was there a day? special holiday going on in the temple? Yeah, certain feasts. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Which would kind of give us, yeah, an idea. Is it a spring feast, a fall feast? Exactly. You know, yep. What was going on? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think um, we'd have to look at see if there's any clues in scripture as to. Uh, if we can, if we can deduce that that was going on, or if this was kind of his regular service, but yeah, let's uh, let's put a pin in it, as they say, and um, come back to that at some point. I think that'd be interesting to look in, look at. Um, okay, so then in the six months, so then this is uh, same chapter of Luke, verse twenty-six, the birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Of course, that's Mary. And in verse 36, the angel says, Even, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her, in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So we don't know exactly when... Mary would have conceived after this announcement. Could have been the same day. Could have been shortly thereafter. Um, but assuming it's right around that time, then you have that. That's where we get that six-month age difference between John and Jesus. Okay, so some clues to when did Zacharias serve? And there's a lot of a lot of different timelines that can give very different answers. So it's really hard to pinpoint, but. Here are some things from uh, Jonathan Kahn again. Okay, so in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, that were found in, what, the 40s, 1940s, um, there is a calendar in it that has the calendar of this priestly service. And it says that the yearly service begins on the first day of spring. So that's like... Like companies have a fiscal year, right, that doesn't coincide with, you know, January to December. Their yearly service begins on uh, Nissan 1, or uh, Aviv is the month, uh, the season of spring. And then um, another source is in the Talmud, um, and it says the beginning of the priestly duties would have begun on the Sabbath 1 of, uh, Sabbath of 1 Aviv, which is spring, the first day of spring. And they record, again, as we know, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Well, they say that that was on a Sunday. They also record the division of priests who were serving at that time. So Khan's point is you can look at the Dead Sea Scrolls and count forward. You can look at the Jewish Talmud and count backward and figure out when the division of Abijah would have been serving. And he says that leads to Messiah being born on March 20th, 6 BC. And he says both the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Talmud 
arrive at the same date if you if you count backwards and forwards to that. So that's pretty interesting. Well, here's where it gets a little Ooh. tricky. So, so once again, if Zach, so so there's 24 um, divisions of priests, right? So basically, they each have to serve twice a uh, twice a year plus the the feast days. So it's about five or six times a year. So if Zacharias served in the second rotation of the year, near the time of his wife conceiving, this would have been around November, December, and six months afterward, about May, June, Jesus would have been conceived, which makes Jesus' birth in early spring, as we've been saying. But if Zacharias served in May, June, in the first rotation of the year, because remember, they start in March, and he was the eighth one, and I believe there are two feast weeks or days in that, so it actually would have been about the tenth week of the year, starting in March. So that would have put it him, his service in May or June. Then Elizabeth would have conceived him around this time. Six months later around November, December, Mary would have conceived, which would have, uh, which would have Jesus been born, uh, having Jesus being born around September. So there we get, <laughs> really dependent on the service of the division of Abijah, if Jesus was born in spring or September. So here's another clue in the Old Testament that, that Khan brings up. He says, when the tabernacle was being built, it took nine months to build it, same as the gestation of a baby. And in Exodus 41 and 2, it says, In the first month, Nisan, the first day, it was complete. So it was, it was completed on the first day of spring. And of course, that's symbolic of everything becoming new. Just as Jesus says, I'm going to make all things new and bring the new covenant. So, according to Khan, that seems to all fit. And, of course, that ties in with John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, some versions say tabernacled among us. So this idea of Jesus coming into the world, uh, being conceived on the same day that the tabernacle would have been complete. So there would have been that tie-in. All right. So again, spring or fall. So we already talked about the lambing season is already is always in the spring. That's when the shepherds would have been out there. Uh, we already talked about the census being unlikely to be in winter. Um, yeah. So we've already kind of gone gone over that stuff. So that's kind of why it's not in the winter, probably, and the reasons for the spring and possibly fall. And then we can get into some of the kind of astral prophecy that goes with, uh, well, Jonathan Kahn mentioned some of that stuff we already talked about with the Magi. But Michael Heiser references um, this guy, Martin. So you've probably heard maybe a little bit about uh, Michael Heiser's interpretation of Revelation 12 where John's John is talking about the constellations and how this points to the timing of Jesus' birth. 
Are you familiar with that at if all? If I did, if I did, uh, I probably forgot it. Yeah, um, it's it's not not on the forefront of my brain. It's kind of convoluted how he. Well, it's simple once you grasp it, but it's it's hard to kind of put it into perspective. Um, so one thing to think about too with with astral prophecy or astral theology is kind of this idea that um, that the heavens, well, let's just go back to Genesis. So there's there's the theme that signs in the heavens mark important points in history, just like uh, the second coming of Christ. There's, there's talk about that in the Bible. Um, so in Genesis, God explains his purpose, one of the purposes for creating those lights in the universe. He said, Genesis 1.14, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day and night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So that's one of the purpose, purposes of the stars and the lights in the skies is for signs. And then in Psalm 19, it talks about God's creations declaring his glory and showing his handiwork. So again, we're going to get into kind of Michael Heiser's perspective where he gets uh, a lot of his ideas from Ernest Martin's book, which is called The Star That Astonished the World, uh, making his case that what was in the heavens in Revelation 12 may be what the Magi would have seen. Um, and so from his perspective, here's, a, here's another kind of interesting um, side note too is in Michael Heiser's book, Reversing Hermon, which is about undoing the damage of the sin of the Watchers in Genesis 6, he ties that into the timing of Jesus' birth and how it actually coincides with with Reversing Hermon. So that's kind of interesting. We'll get into that a little later. Um, so some critics of this view that Ernest Martin's book and Michael Heiser agrees with say, well, this couldn't have been the timing because uh, Josephus, the historian, puts Herod's death at 4 BC. And so the timeline that we're going to get into doesn't work with that. But according to Heiser, and he has documents to show this, uh, there were different dating systems that can be used that would actually establish, establish a 1 BC death for Herod. So that's Kind of when we get into what Revelation 12 points to in terms of timing, he says it can work with with uh, with the timing of Herod's death because I guess Herod's death happened two years after Jesus being born, something like that. And that's uh, when he came back from Egypt back into Israel. Yes, yes, and it was a couple years after too that the Magi finally showed up, right? Jesus was like two years old, I think. The Magi? That's the wise men. The wise men, yeah. They didn't, just like our nativity scene um, displays show the, the wise men there, they weren't there then. They they came way after the fact. Uh, maybe I'm not remembering the gospel correctly because I, was, I thought they came just at, around the same time that the shepherds did and they brought the frankincense... Yeah, the uh, gifts. Yeah, the gifts. Well, from my understanding, yeah, my understanding they they didn't get there till till much later when Jesus was older. But 
Um, I'd have honestly, I'd have to double check the the scripture on that. So we'll come back to that, I guess. Um, all right. So then, also the, another point too is the Magi would have been familiar with Isaiah seven fourteen about the virgin giving birth, and so there's the constellation Virgo in the sky. Um, so that's one of the things the Magi would have been would have been looking for. All right. So getting into Revelation twelve. So we already talked about Psalm nineteen. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims His handiwork. So Heiser kind of makes the point, like in uh, 19.4, their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So he kind of ties this into Paul saying that the creation of the world makes it plain to all. So it's it's kind of this prophetic voice of of creation, of, of Jesus, uh, hearkening back to Psalm 19. And then, um, okay, so let's read uh, Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So the, the constellation Virgo, I guess, has, has 12 stars around it. Uh, she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, which I think are crowns, right? His tail, yep, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. So right there again, there's, there's a lot of language in the Bible about um, stars being equated with actual gods, actual um, angelic divine beings, however you want to call it. Um, and then just a quick sidebar before I keep, um, keep reading. So one, one of our earlier podcasts, we were talking about, uh, my coworker's position on Job 38, when it says at the time mm-hmm. of creation, the morning stars sang and the stars shouted for joy, or I'm sorry, the sons of God shouted for joy. And he was trying to make the point that, look, these are stars. Well, Doug Van Dorn in uh, Blurry Creatures 137 episode says, this is classic Hebrew parallelism, where they use two different words to describe the same kind of thing. So in that sentence, it says, the morning stars sang for joy and the sons of God shouted. And so it, it's not two different things. It's not stars like lights in the heavens and then angels. It's actually angels and angels because that's the, the, the kind of the uh, literary device of Hebrew parallelism. So just, just to make that point to say that, you know, there's a lot of language in the Bible, even besides Revelation, where stars are thought of as, um, as actual beings. All right, so going back to Revelation 12. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. So again, this is the only place in the Bible where we get this idea that that the dragon, Satan, um, took a third of the angels with him. There's nowhere else in the Bible that we get this idea. 
It's it's largely tradition in Christianity where we we think Satan's fall had a third of the angels rebelling with him. But if Revelation 12 is, as Dr. Heiser points out, talking about the timing of the birth of the Messiah, well, then this third of the angels coming with him didn't happen millennia ago. It happened at the time of Jesus' birth. So just a little sidebar there. Uh, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. So that language right there goes back to, I think, Isaiah, um, where um, it's talked about the coming Messiah ruling with a rod of iron. So this is clearly messianic um, timeline here. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Okay, so what's happening there? Let's unpack that. So there's a combination of astronomical constellational constellation signs in the sky. So you have the woman, Virgo, the sun in her midst, the moon at her feet, the dragon, um, so one point, in the, and, and I'm quoting from uh, Mike Heiser's podcast, so this particular collection of constellations is not especially rare by itself, but there are other celestial things going on that are not mentioned by John in Revelation 12 that when you combine them um, make this a very rare event, um, and they would have been present during the time of Jesus' birth. So, one of the things uh, we talked about earlier is um, how the constellations were thought of. So there was Leo, which was associated by the Jews with royalty. And then we have um, a quote from uh, Hastings' Encyclopedia of Religion and and Ethics. And he says, if you read through their Sun, Moon, and Stars article, you'll find that Leo was considered a royal constellation since it was dominated by the star Regulus. And Regulus would have also been in the picture of the circumstances of Revelation 12. So the star Regulus was known by the astrologers as the king star. Uh, I guess it was the biggest and brightest in the constellation Leo. Okay. And then, going back to Ernest Martin's uh, book, The Star of Bethlehem, The Star of the Astonished the World. So here's a quote from him. The only time in the year that the sun could be in a position to clothe the celestial woman Virgo, that is to be mid-bodied to her in the region where a pregnant woman carries a child, is when the sun is located between 150 and 170 degrees along the ecliptic. This clothing of the woman by the sun occurs for a 20-day period each year. This 20-degree spread could have indicated the general time when Jesus was born. In 3 BC, the sun would have entered this celestial region on August 27th and exited about September 15th. If John in the book of Revelation is associating the birth of Jesus with the period of the sun, being mid-bodied to the woman called Virgo, 
then Jesus would have been born within that 20-day period. And from the point of view of the Magi, this would have been the only logical sign under which the Jewish Messiah, Messiah would have been born, especially if he were born of a virgin. Um, and going on, the sign of the sun clothing the woman defines a period of 20 days. And then you add the additional sign of the moon being under her feet, which pinpoints the nativity to within a day, um, and actually to within 90 minutes of that day. So uh, this is Heiser here. In the year 3 BC, these two relationships of the sun, moon, and Virgo came into alignments for only 81 minutes and, mm. and would have been observed from Palestine in the twilight period of September 11th, 3 BC. This relationship began about 6.18 p.m. sunset and lasted until 7.39 p.m. moonset. So it should be noted, he says, that this is the only day in the whole year, September 11th, 3 BC, that this astronomical phenomenon described in Revelation 12 could have taken place. Very interesting. Yes. So it's it's kind of like if you've ever listened to one person's opinion and then you're like, oh, he's absolutely right. And then you hear somebody else and you're like, oh, no, this, this guy's right. It's like whichever argument you hear last seems to <laughs> seems to be the one that's true. So I was, like I was saying to you last time we talked, I was absolutely convinced uh, by by Mike Heiser's argument in Revelation 12 for years until I heard Jonathan Kahn's argument. So I don't know what to think, but there's a lot of good, um, a lot of good reasons for either one. And I was surprised to hear, as I, I listened to it a several times, uh, Kahn's talk on it, that he has some astrological things that he say point to 6 BC and the spring. So not uh, 3 BC and the, and the fall. So <laughs> one other thing too, that's really interesting. And of course we're going to have to get uh, reversing Hermann sometime. I think that would be a excellent read from Mike Kaiser, but he connects um, this idea of, the Messiah's coming in the fall with undoing the sin of the watchers. And so he's got like, I think a whole chapter on, uh, in his book that talks about that. So, so here's a quote from, um, uh, this person's gas gasters festivals of the Jewish new year. Although it might sound odd, there is a tradition that, um, the world would have began so Eden, you know, with the fruit already ripe on the trees, uh, would have linked to Tishri 1, which is uh, September 11th, that creation, or I'm sorry, not creation, but the Garden of Eden, when uh, Adam and Eve were there, would have been in the fall, because that's when things would have been ripe. And so he's connecting it to this idea that uh, that Jesus would have come at that same time, because because part of the what he's coming to do is to undo the damage of the Watchers. Um, so again, this is where you have the new year, new year beginning in the fall, 
in the original calendar, and then later on it gets changed to align to Passover, where we have spring being the beginning of the Hebrew New Year. So um, Heiser says Genesis has Adam and Eve placed in a lush garden, availability of food, it must have been in harvest season, and this is how the Jews would have reasoned this. Um, And so that's why back then they would have had their calendar beginning in the fall. And so why why is that um, important? Well, Jewish tradition took the chronology of Noah's birthday to be Tishri 1, the first, first, first month of the fall. And, um, and so they kind of connect this idea that Jesus was the better Noah, like, as the time of Noah, uh, these these awful beings were wiped out, and here is the better Noah coming, the Messiah, to kind of finish the job. So here's here's another little interesting uh, detail about that too. So, um, the second month of the year, the month when Noah and his family emerged from the ark after the flood, uh, was marked astronomically by the. Uh, appearance of the Pleiades constellation. So this is from um, an article by Robbins. Uh, the stars rising is a phenomenon where the star is first visible on the morn- in the morning sky. On this day, a star will only briefly appear and be barely visible, since if you had looked a day earlier, it was too close to the sun for visibility. And Heiser says this comes from an um, astronomical page from the Un- University of Maryland. Okay, so then in the Hebrew term for the Pleiades constellation is called Kima, and it's mentioned three times in the Old Testament, and it's always paired with Orion. And, of course, we know Orion to be connected to Nimrod, Apollo, the Antichrist, right? Um, since its position in the sky is close to the Orion constellation. Not surprisingly, Orion was considered a giant in the ancient world. Remember, Nimrod began to be a Gibberim. And the last reference is, is significant in light of the Dead Sea Scrolls. In one Targum of Job, Targum is a Aramaic translation, discovered at Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, Job 38.31 reads, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, Kima, or loose the cords of Orion? But instead of Kesel for Orion, the Aramaic has the word Nephila. Now, what does that sound like? Nephilim. Nephilim. The last term Aramaic for Orion is the Aramaic noun from which Nephilim derives. And he, he and Tizer talks about this in the unseen realm. Nafila is giant. So then um, he gets in a little bit about the Apkalu from Mesopotamia, which is the context for Genesis one six four. The Apkalu were before the flood, fully divine; after the flood, divine and human mixed. And he says that's kind of the the pagan uh, reference for what Genesis six four and the Book of Enoch is all talking talking about. And, yeah, so this idea that uh, that the Messiah was going to be the ultimate Noah. Um, so that's another reason why he kind of ties it into uh, 
ties it into the fall date because it was thought that Noah um, was born at that time. So that's about all I got on that. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, lots lots to um, to ponder and and look into. Um, like you said about the um, uh, whether Zechariah was serving on one of those feast days, that might have changed the timing of his service. Um, and yeah, that, it doesn't really yeah. say. I'm, I was browsing Luke uh, while you were speaking, and uh, it it just makes mention that um, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. Um, that he was serving during the time of infants, uh, incense. So I think the time of incense was a daily um, tradition or or com- um, habit that that they were directed by God, you know, and Moses to do. Um, so it does. So it doesn't really tie in exactly to a certain feast per se um, that I can see yeah. in that scripture. Okay, so it might have been just his normal service. Right, right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you made a point um, that there might have been several. Like, he wouldn't have to serve every day. They, were, they probably had a, a pool of people. I think the, the tribe of the Levites the, uh, were the main ones that were serving in the temple. And um, I'm sure they rotated uh, on their assignments. Yep. Yeah, I think it was. It might have been a week long service, um, and then yeah, n- then not again for for twenty four weeks plus any uh, feast days would have delayed the next time of service too. Right. So, and then it says in verse twenty six of chapter one of Luke, it's in that that's when Gabriel um, went to see Mary, and you know, um, I think many believe that. It wasn't short after that proclamation that the conception took place. So that's where they're getting that's where they're getting the six month difference in time between Elizabeth being pregnant with John the Baptist and Mary being pregnant with Jesus. Okay, that makes sense. I'm gonna just look up real quick since we mentioned the question. Uh, when did the the wise men visit uh, the infant Jesus? Um, let's see if I can find an article here. <laughs> let's see here. Oh, answers in Genesis. We three kings. Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis is a good one. That's uh, Ken Ham, I think. Right? He's got the he's got the uh, Ark display. Oh, Ham. Yeah. The book of Matthew contains the account of the wise men. Uh, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he has seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Here's one other clue. How did they learn of the king of the Jews? Um, some scholars believe the book of Numbers informed the Magi of the child who would be preceded by a star. Numbers twenty four seventeen. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Um, 
Perhaps they were told in a dream about the Messiah's birth. After all, God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod after they had seen the baby Jesus. Which gospel is that? Uh, Matthew Matthew two twelve is is where they were warned not to go back because okay. Herod Herod knew that they knew. Uh, let's see, see how many magi came to see Jesus. We always say say three, you know, we three kings. Well, we we kind of base that on the on the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, so that's tradition, but the Bible doesn't really tell us. There may, may have been many more. Okay, here we go. When and where did they see the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, nativity story, of course, it shows him that he was there on the night of his birth, but this is highly unlikely. Matthew 2.1 reveals the Magi came to Jerusalem and subsequently visited with Herod after Jesus would have been born. So there's a lot of traveling time going on there. The angelic announcement of Christ's birth to the shepherds was at night, which means Jesus was born at night. In Luke 2.11, the angel told the shepherds, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Uh, let's see here. The Jewish, Jewish day began at sundown, then the angelic use of... Um, the word day, which is semaron, uh, indicates Christ was born at night. So it is highly implausible that the wise men would have arrived in Jerusalem at night and immediately obtained an audience with Herod. The king then gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Matthew 2.4, so he could determine where the Messiah was to be born. The experts told Herod that the Messiah needed to be born in Bethlehem, which was predicted in Micah 5.2, so the wise men departed and made their six-mile journey to Bethlehem. If we assume the wise men met with Herod during the day after Jesus was born, the earliest they could have visited him would have been the next night. So I've heard other things about it being a couple years after, but this is... I, make, I would yeah. venture to guess it wouldn't be long after. Um, and part of that is in verse 10... When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So, and that they, they were observing that star before they had come to see the young child, Jesus. So, and I thought this, unless the star lingered for months, but they saw Herod, they saw, they, they, they were, they were they were gathering that information from the scriptures. They're looking up into the into the heavens. They were excited when they saw the star and met with King Herod. Um, and obviously, he was being uh, uh, deceitful in his desire to worship the child too. Um, then they go see the child, and then Joseph Joseph is warned to flee due to Herod's wrath and Herod's wrath coincide with the Magi, the wise men being warned, right? Mm -hmm. To not go back to Herod and report in, but go, go back a different way. Right. And that's when Herod sent out the decree, right? To kill yep. the male child, two years old and younger. 
Maybe that's where people so, get that two-year idea that it could have been two years later because of this. If he's decreeing it, it's two years, Herod is saying, well, he could be up to two years old already, this child that that is a threat to me. Yeah, because he didn't know, not like the Magi did. They had all the facts. Right. I, I, I got a feeling that they they saw him within a matter of days, weeks, at most months of, of Jesus' birth. Because I got a feeling that when Joseph fleed with his family to Egypt, um, I think they stayed there a little while. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, no, that's very plausible, and especially uh, from the article we just uh, looked at, that's plausible. It could have been right. much, much sooner than, than I guess I've thought, too. So, yeah, interesting stuff. So um, I think that's a good place to I know. Re- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to add something that uh, Pastor Doug Riggs uh, chimed in about the timing of December 25th, his opinion, and he didn't elaborate on, at least in this one interview, uh, on why he thought Christ was born on a different day than the 25th. Okay. Um, But he did make mention that the 25th of December uh, is Nimrod's birthday. Oh. So that would be another pagan um, celebration day, which is kind of interesting. And his point was, it doesn't matter exactly when um, we we celebrate the day. It's just the fact that we do celebrate his arrival. You know, the prophecy being fulfilled of him coming as the Son of Man, but yet fully God. Yes, yeah, and it's interesting that that some of the early church fathers thought it was very pagan to celebrate. Jesus' birth, even him being Jesus, because what does the angel say? You know, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. So, if it was not a big deal, if if you want to make the idea that that's pagan or or no, we should just celebrate his death and resurrection and his teachings, not his birth. It's like, well, the angel thought it was <laughs> it was a joyful announcement, you know. So, I yeah, mean, definitely a joyful announcement when he made his appearance. Um, and you know, it was joyful to Mary, it was joyful to uh Elizabeth, and even John the Baptist when the two cousins are meeting, pregnant cousins, that is, you know, what does it say? It says that uh, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost even in his mother's womb. And, and he, you know, and he it was jumped. like the it was, he jumped. the infant. Yes, the infant uh, had a, an emotional response to what was taking place and the conversation that was taking place and the proximity um, to the to the Messiah growing inside of Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Fascinating. Wild. Fascinating. That that that, that a, a child can be, um, you know influence in that positive way so well pretty cool. and that's and that's something too as you know you know i've gone through uh adoption that process and learning a lot about how even in utero um the developing babies can feel the stress of the mother the emotions of the mother all this stuff they can sense and pick up on 
Um, so there's, yeah, there's a lot of science behind that too. So pretty, pretty cool. All right. Well, I guess that's a good place to wrap up. So, um, and we're, we're at about an hour anyway, so that's perfect. And, uh, and hopefully we can get Don, uh, back here for next time and we can go over, uh, wandering stars with Doug Van Dorn, blurry creature episode 137, where he does touch on some of this revelation 12 stuff. But he gets into a lot of um, kind of how the, I guess, one of the themes of the show is kind of this this counterfeit of God, of using the stars and astrology and how these ancient cities were built in accordance to these constellations because they were trying to worship and connect to these gods. And so that idea of... uh, of counterfeit knowledge, not that it's untrue, but that God says, don't mess with that because I'm the, I'm the true King. I'm the, the real deal. And these are just poor substitutes and they're going to lead you in bad paths. So, um, that'll be interesting, interesting to get into. And we'll do that in, uh, right about the new year, probably. So sounds good. Yeah, man. All right. Well, Merry Christmas good conversation good uh good stuff i think fitting for the season and hopefully we've given people some some uh, nuggets to chew on for the timing of jesus birth nothing conclusive particularly but a lot of different uh paths to that but again most important thing is the celebration of course that um that god became like a little child in a lowly place uh, to become a servant to all and just uh, just what incredible love he has to come into the world in that way in such a humble way um, for our sake but also as we're, we've talked about to reverse uh, the sin of, of the rebellious angels you know it's not just about providing salvation to us the opportunity for salvation but it's undoing the works of the devil and his angels and demons and um, making all things right and new absolutely yeah all right take care Sounds good take care brother safe travels merry christmas you too Talk man to you later bye days of noah podcast we hope you've enjoyed this episode please be sure to like leave a positive review and share with your friends and family 
God bless you, and we'll see you next week. 